<laughs> Hello, I'm Naomi Sample, a part of Naomi Sample and the Go-Go's and chiptune musician or something else. And you're listening to the Scene World Podcast. It's, it's the Scene World Podcast. I'm AJ. Jörg is that guy over there. From Germany. Hi. Yes, from Germany. I forgot to say that again. I'm not 20, from Germany. 22. Yes. 2022. This is our second podcast of the year. Ooh. We're just going to keep numbering them as we go along just to keep track because I forget nice. everything. Um, yeah. Simon Carlos. Yes. Simon Carlos is who we're talking to. And this time with Martin Wisnowski because yes. AJ wasn't ready for this I, one. I wasn't. Yeah, I was. Else, what, what was I doing? I don't know, but you had, didn't have time. Oh. Okay. Um, oh yes, you, you got your booster injection. Oh, that's right. That yes, yes, I had to. Your go, booster yeah, appointment. Yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. 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 Yes. Got. Got a pin and everything. Nice, yeah. yeah. I saw, I saw, I saw your Facebook. Yeah, third, your third. Facebook took me photo. three shots, three shots to get a goddamn pin. <laughs> thirty shots. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. That, that, that's that's what thirty okay. shots is when you get the free hotel stay or something. You get like a nice. free shipping um, on, so on anyway. your pain medication. Um, Simon Carlos, yes, one of the pioneers of net labels. Yes, and who Jurg made a rather spiffy song with. It's, I did. Didn't didn't did you not? Did, didn't that say Jurg and Simon Carlos? Uh, what? It's the fucking name of the file. Oh, it's not. Wait, what? What? I shall send you the news. I shall send you the news bit. My song and Petros. I'm so confused right now. Okay, okay, but. When I look at, oh, okay, okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I, I read, I saw, so it said music piece from Pedro Planas, comma, music piece from, piece from Jurg and Simon Carlos, and then I saw a comma after news section, so I thought this was music from you and Simon Carlos, so I, oh, I apologize, gosh. this was oh, just, this oh, was just gosh, you, this no. was just you, which makes it even more impressive because it's, it's, it's got a groove. Well, um, um, well, anyway. Anyway, yeah. Yeah, I, I saw something I tried two years ago with the free, with the, with the uh, free Magix music maker that was enclosed to the movie edit that I used to edit videos. So it was a free, free product. So I was like, why not trying something out with it? Um, probably be hearing that right now over this because i damn well want to leave this part in you you want you want to include the whole two absolutely absolutely oh my god absolutely this is this is gold why did i send it to you no no not the whole two minutes no just a snippet while we're talking anyway you can see that um martin wisnowski was kind of starstruck on this one so that's always Nice. nice to see I remember I had this feeling uh, when we when we talked to Scotty Allen back then. I think I was mentioning it like every week. Like you know what happens. Yes. I, I was counting down the days, and uh, you still so you still I, talk about I, it every week. 
Right. <laughs> no, we that, has, that hasn't changed. <laughs> anyway, news. Yes. News. Well, some um, news, my there man. are some kind of complex news here now, more in the um, retro PC re-release era. And quite a lot, actually. So one thing, um, you know, Blue Byte, the German studio that was founded from one of the guys from Rainbow Arts, actually was taken over by Ubisoft a while ago. And they are uh, re-releasing the Settlers. Hmm. Um, and um, Popular Amiga game. Right. And so it's like a building up game. Mm-hmm. As the name suggests, well, it's pretty much known. Um, in Germany, it's called the Die Siedler. In, in English, it's called the Settlers. And um, they are now inviting everybody to sign up for the closed beta. Oh, okay. So people can <clears throat> participate in that. Cool. Pretty, pretty nice. Um, so we will throw a link to that. Down there, that way. And also, recently, um, the YouTube channel Slopes Games Room actually mentioned Rock and Roll Racing, The Complete History, a retro gaming documentary. And Rock and Roll Racing was one of my childhood streams. Well, one of my favorite games, I would say. And the thing is that... Um, I found out due to this documentary that Blizzard at the moment is re-releasing the Blizzard Arcade Collection as a part of the Celebration Collection bundles, and it's available through February 20th. Hmm. So if you still want to get it, hurry up. Um, I I bought the lowest bundle for 20 euros. Because I don't know, I don't need any extra packs for other games like World of Warcraft that I don't own. So I just wanted the um, the uh, well the Blizzard Arcade Collection, which is interesting because none of those games in the collection is actually an arcade game. They probably mean like action game. Yeah. I just decided yeah. to call it arcade for some reason. Um, and here's the thing, it includes interview videos. Um, of the creators of the game and the founders of Blizzard, so it's very interesting. It contains the um, the um, original Super Nintendo release and the Mega Drive slash Genesis release. Unfortunately, the Game Boy Advance release is missing, but it has an ultimate, um, well, pimped up version too. So right, if you right. still want to have it, hurry up because it's only available through February twentieth, and then it's gone. Okay. Um, right. And um, part of this part of this documentary, I've, I I learned that there was a Russian studio um, called the Yard Team that did a PC release called Motor Rock. But um, Blizzard shut them down because they were stealing content from the original game, including the narrate the narr- narrator narrator yes, yes narrator. Um, and um, so they shut it down. And currently, um, the thing is actually 
that for a time, when they were sued and stuff, they actually uh, made it freeware. And then they removed the freeware version from the internet and made it um, on donations. So you yeah. could donate for, you could donate, I don't know, three dollars mm-hmm. for Steam key. And right now their homepage, when you sign in using your Steam account, it says there are no more keys available. Oh, okay. At the moment, so mm-hmm. who knows if there will ever be um, more Steam case. But I found in the in the discussion board of that Steam game that was removed from Steam because of copyright issues that another Russian developer made a new rock and roll racing based game and this dev- developer calls himself online object and he has that new game um, called overshoot battle race and overshoot battle race is on on early access on steam since december 1st and he doesn't copy stuff from the original game okay okay that's I, a good I thing i think i'm following along yes yes yeah all right, cool, cool. So, Very nice. And if somebody's interested in the game and doesn't want to go illegal, um, I actually forgot to send you that link, but I will do it after this recording. Um, Blizzard actually made a demo version of the Super NES release okay. in 2014 and made it available for download. It Not contains uh-huh. one music that isn't the original. Um, and and the first three tracks of these SNS release, which okay. is quite interesting because seeing a company modifying modifying a game ROM from 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 the uh, from '93 and re-releasing a version of it as a demo version in 2014, that's actually. Uh, bundled with a super NES emulator that's like super super interesting yeah that, that kind of is yeah so so it is really a, a, is really a genuine super NES release <laughs> otherwise they wouldn't have the need to bundle it with an emulator right yeah right that emulates the super NES so yeah that's yeah. super interesting it's um yeah I mean, why why would you want that? I don't know. Probably they wanted to to make a demo and provide it something legal for the people to see. Right, right. Um, what was actually there as as a game? Yeah, well, gotcha. So we will put links to that all together. And um, and news on my side now that I'm using uh, Windows 11 since I think yeah. Since a while now, um, I actually made a couple of entries on my blog how to get certain recent, or not recent, how to get certain classical Windows games running in Windows 11. So if anybody is interested in learning about that, and I'm there sure you go. they are. Uh, well, well, the thing is, the thing is, basically, my blog turned out to be like. Um, a notebook for for me to write down what I did to get a game working. Yeah. If I ever right. have to do it again, that I know where to look. And honestly, Windows 11 is so new 
that nobody makes any documentation or wiki or whatever right. about how to get games run in Windows 11. All those wikis and databases, they are all about Windows 10. In most times, in, in most situations, what works on Windows 10 is works on Windows 11 too, because Windows 11 is basically Windows 10, um, just a new version of it. But anyway, there are some exceptions. Right, right. And um, so I decided to, to give it a go and write what I found. Yeah, Very cool. that would be Very my, nice. my news bits. A bit, a bit more complex and yes, more detailed than usual. Yes, yeah. Right. Yeah, I only got one little piece, uh, which is that there are rumors that um, for for all you BBS guys that are, are that call the boards, and I should be one of them, but I've been lazy um, because because I've, I because I moved and the network is different, and I just forgot how to change the the Wi-Fi modem settings to connect to the you know, to, to whatever. And I've just been lazy by doing it, but yeah. Um, um, there are rumors that the classic, uh, board, the base planet may be returning soon. Awesome. Yes. And, and the guy from, and, and, uh, 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 trouble who runs dead zone is now running two boards. And I cannot think of what the name of the other one is off the top of my head. I will put a link. It'll, it'll be in the, thing here or or make it make it uh letters yes. showing on the screen that's what like, i meant yeah that's the name yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll yeah we'll, we'll, i'll figure that out by the time that this goes live um nice nice that's, that's all i got that's all i got nice so now <laughs> god time travel's a bitch man your beard <laughs> fell off back to the future four. Oh. <laughs> yeah Oh, we're 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 here from the future because some things happened, and we had to come back to add it yeah. to the intro pod part of the podcast. <laughs> well, yesterday the Earth Globe was, uh, well, Chuck shaken. Oh, shaken. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. Because um, because Microsoft is now the biggest game studio. Good lord! Okay, they bought um, Activision Blizzard. Good old, good old Windows. <laughs> well, if you if you uh, remember, Microsoft started back in the mid of the nineties with um, Doom port for Windows mm -hmm. and games like Monster Truck Madness. And actually, I think it was last year the promo video for the press of Microsoft porting Doom to Windows has been found and released. Oh, uh, okay. I think we should we should put in yeah, here we'll put a link in there. Uh, little, yeah, well, perhaps even a little scene yeah. because it's hilarious. We'll see. You are doing the edit on this yeah. one. And the other thing is perhaps Quinnell God was right all the time because we just found out that um, according to Arts Technica and to Yahoo Finances, PayPal stole users' money after freezing sizing funds. Lawsuits alleges. Yes. Um, and which that is, is what Quinnell told Quinnell us. said. Yeah, that's what he said yeah. in the podcast that they they froze and then stole his money. Twice, actually, which is the reason why he did it on Kickstarter this time. Mm -hmm. And well, 
looks like something went out to the press finally. And that is what Quinell always wanted. Some serious press coverage. And yeah. now he has it. Yeah, users yeah. contacted... Uh, when, when users attempted to contact PayPal, uh, they were told they had violated the uh, company's acceptable use policy, which is exactly what Quinell said. Uh, but weren't told exactly what the violation was or what they did. Um, and then... Um, and in this instance, Ars Technica is saying that uh, users would have had to have gotten a subpoena to find out, which is usually going to be going to cost you more money than you lost. In some, in most and cases. Uh, we are not talking about, you know, uh, $20, $25 on the John Q public account the from three, the neighbor. No, the three lead plaintiffs about... in this lost nearly $250,000. Exactly. So we are talking about the big bucks here. Yeah. You know? Yeah. PayPal. <laughs> yep. And um, so we will we'll link to both articles yes. um, in the yep. podcast uh, link list. Um, and we, we just felt we should mention it. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, even, even within the staff, we discussed back then about the pro and cons of inviting Quinell because we were the first and only podcast doing an English interview with him. Right. And that was one of those discussion bullet points like, is it reasonable that PayPal really took his money twice and now yeah, it sounded a little bit suggested... Right. That, and yes. there was a lot yeah. of other talk, you know, elsewhere amongst, you know, the, 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 customers and whatnot because he had you know kind of you know jumped ship for a little bit disappeared so people were a little uh skeptical of his claims but i mean yep i'm I'm motioning to i'm motioning this article on my screen like people can see what's going on over here (laughs) well you can put in a little screenshot if you like anyway just put a link um, to the article people can read it themselves perhaps anyway yes um so finally we have some something here in the Major press. I mean, yeah. uh, I I understand that especially in USA, Yahoo Finances is still a major um, news platform thing. Yes, it is. I mean, if you if you oh I don't know about finances, but I mean it's still a major payment method. Like if you're buying on eBay or Amazon or whatever, it's PayPal. PayPal is what you do. No, I mean, I meant Yahoo because oh, Yahoo. here in Germany, for example, oh, Yahoo? Yahoo means nothing. No, anymore. Yahoo means nothing here in the United States either. Yeah, but the article was on Yahoo Finances. Yeah, and that's well, why I mentioned it. Yeah, I, I, we'll, we'll link to both, but I'm, I think the Ars Technica probably has more clout. <laughs> well, right. So anyway, that's that's it. And now back to the well interview, actually. Yes. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. Exactly. We'll start the well. <laughs> either 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 your beard will grow back instantly, and we'll go to the interview, or we'll just go to the interview. All right. We'll figure that out. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. Well, so today we are talking to Simon Carlos, and you are basically known for pioneering in the net label music business, I think. And uh, with us today, we have Martin, and Martin is more of the expert on the topic. So I guess it's your turn. Yeah, um, I, 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 I'm not sure if we maybe start just like just like in every classical scene world interview, just like right, right, right at the beginning. Where where did you find your way into into the computer stuff, and why do you think it's interesting? 
Yeah, sure. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I was um, I was looking this up, uh, so I, I knew what I was talking about with my own history before before this call. And, you know, I, I started making, I got an Amiga. I had, I had a, a, a ZX Spectrum earlier, but I, I did some stuff with that. But I got an Amiga, I think, when I was about 13 or so. And so I started getting interested in the demo scene. And actually, I, I, I used to get I used to get floppy disks from uh, 17-bit software, uh, which became Team 17, if, 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 if you guys are aware of that. But but before Team Seventeen was Team Seventeen, they were a mail a mail order um, software company for for um, for discs on yeah for floppy disks on the Amiga. So I used to get this from them, and I get demos from them, and also I started trading trading a lot of stuff, and then eventually I started making music myself. I think originally by e, um, Aegis Sonics, which was a kind of a slightly more obscure. Uh, like pre-tracker kind of thing and then I think I did a little bit of stuff in Future Composer which is also a less well-known probably uh, uh, like chip, really chiptune Amiga thing but um, I eventually got into doing Soundtracker stuff and then obviously Pro Tracker and then that's why when I got more involved in the Amiga scene and that was really like about 1991, 1992 so I wasn't, I wasn't around for the Commodore 64 stuff but I was definitely around for the Amiga stuff and um, ended up getting you know like somewhat well known as um, as, uh, as a musician you know I was really just doing music uh, but I, I I did some stuff for actually a, a bunch of Dutch scene labels for every reason you know so there was Lunatics, Jet Set, uh, um, Axis, Axis and the Desire the, the was probably uh, the, uh, the, the best well-known one so I did a lot of music and music discs for uh, Axis and um, Jet Set and, and and some of those folks, and also did quite a few chip tunes. Um, yeah, so that was sort of my that, that that that's sort of my scene history. But we can sort of go into that before we get into net labels. If there's anything you're interested in about that, I guess. Well, uh, I mean, well, this, well. desire desire still around, I think, because I'm regularly getting newsletter and uh, newsletters from them uh, about their new productions. So at least that name sprung something in my head. Yes, and 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 I, actually, someone else I did some music for, although I was not um, a member of them, was the um, the uh, Black Lotus. Uh, and when 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 the Black Lotus was doing was doing um, was doing Amiga stuff as well, they may still do Amiga stuff. Um, I did music for at least at least one of their demos. Uh, and also, I was in a group. I was in a group briefly called Valhalla, and Valhalla was a was a fairly well known PC group at the time. And I'm I wasn't really ever a PC demo scene guy actually I, I um i basically never made the transition away from the amiga i was like oh i need to start doing stuff on pc and then i never did so basically about 1996 i just went straight from doing amiga stuff to doing to doing net label stuff uh and never actually composed anymore but i was yeah i was somewhat involved with Valhalla, and then on the net label side which we'll talk about i was a member of cosmic um when they were a pc only uh really a very early net label and that's how i got the idea to bring that concept more to the amiga uh, maybe maybe uh maybe before maybe i just maybe uh, just want to understand how actually um even in this let's say early demo scene days how uh how did you connected to the scene did you visited some parties or was it all on mailboxes or via snail mail or how 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 did this work for you 
it was a, a lot of it was snail mail yeah i i, I had a lot I, I i did a lot of snail mail disc trading as i think a, a lot of people that did around that time i also did some bbs stuff because i i was getting a bit a bit later you know since i'm a bit later in the scene than some other people there was definitely a decent bbs scene at that point so i was definitely doing some of that and then eventually i i had some some internet stuff and some telnet you know i did telnet telnet boards as well um, but um, yeah, I think a lot of it was sloppy disc trading and a lot of it was just trading with other musicians. And that's one of the reasons why I ended up when, when I ended up setting up a net label, I, I, I knew a lot of musicians and we were trading a lot of music with each other. But at that time, obviously, if you weren't on in a demo or a music disc, uh, there wasn't really a way to get to get your music out there. So obviously, there's only a certain amount of demos. Uh, and and there's often often a lot more pieces of music than that. So I think that was that was one of the original uh, reasons why this started happening. And and you said you compiled music discs. Uh, do do we find them on, for example, DemoZoo or or yeah, somewhere yeah, on the yeah. archives? Yeah, I mean, I I had I had a bunch of chip tune only discs. I think they were called Chip Squared, uh, and so uh, so I, I, those were released. And then I had at least one larger um uh, uh um larger um music disc which was like which was like multi floppy disc and then I, I contributed to some other stuff as well like i i did music for disc mags and um and I, i i think i contributed a piece there was a famous music disc by jewel crew shining which was which was pretty good uh it was called sonic something and it had sonic the hedgehog's fight in it on the amiga um and i i, I think i had a tune in that as well so um yeah so you, you can actually have a look on um i i tend to look on um uh on janeway if you guys know janeway it's like the exotica database for amiga um, um um janeway has the best record of my demo scene stuff and it has uh you oh, know about okay. 20 or 30 demos that i think i i was part of although some of them are just like um you know like uh um chiptune intros or kind of like um pack disc intros that they just use my chiptunes for sometimes without me being aware but um yeah there's there's, there's quite there's, there's there's quite a few demos that i was i was i was a part of at, at that point so I, i would say i was sort of like a a mid-level profile amiga musician and probably people knew me mainly for my main probably for my chip tunes but um also also for other stuff yeah all right cool yeah, maybe maybe we we find it and link it so <laughs> um yeah would be very great um and and after that so as, as i can hear it you you already were just like managing all this uh putting stuff together and compiling music and so on and What 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 was the next step then? Was it just like the internet came onto you, or you just mentioned you already seen something net labelish? Yeah, I mean it was interesting because originally Mono, which is you know the the, the net label I founded in 1996, it was definitely you know just when the internet was coming up as a distribution mechanism. But uh, I'd say at the time we got a lot more BBS distribution than we did internet distribution because at that time you couldn't really host your own large large files and it was just via ftp sites um you know and there were and there were one or two ftp sites that would take this 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 the, the, this kind of stuff um I've, i've 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 forgotten the name of it but there's a particular but there's, there's a particularly famous one that had um obviously seen the org had stuff but yeah the, i would just 
wanted to say Zinot.org maybe. <laughs> um, no, but but there was there was there was one before Zinot.org got got going, which was just uh, which was like a uh, hosting on university networks um, and 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 mm. and had mirrors. So um, yeah, uh, maybe Funet if you're NET or something like that. But yeah. Um, oh yeah, Funet Funet rings a bell. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but um, I'll have to research that one later. But yeah, so but but yeah yeah yeah, but basically at that time I'd say most of our setup was set up for bbs distribution so we had so, so when we launched mono in 1996 it was definitely inspired by there were a couple of pc music groups at that time particularly cosmic and radical rhythms and uh cosmic had done a pretty good job of the pc um music group kind of idea and they had a lot a lot of people in there a lot of, a lot of really good people at like necros and um you know and um basshead and a bunch of those folks who are you know i think i think i think some of those folks are still are still composing today and and have done various game music things so i i was briefly a member of cosmic although just i think i was the only amiga member of cosmic i think everyone else did did multi-channel stuff and i was i was doing four channel stuff um but but around that time i was kind of like well why don't we bring this concept back from the PC to the Amiga? And I think it was probably the first the first Amiga um, one to sort of say, well, why don't we do these essentially individual music releases, which were L which were which were compressed via LHA, which was the you know the zip equivalent back then, and uh, they were available on BBSs, uh, and they had a nice file ID.dis with with a logo and the information, and then they had an info file, so much like the kind of cracks and stuff that were going around at the time, but just for individual themed music files and that was what cosmic was already doing i'm not claiming that um i was the first to do that but i think you know one of one of the first doing it bring it back to the amiga at the time even though amiga was probably slowing down because honestly i think amiga had better musicians than pc at that point and amiga musicians have been around for a lot longer there was a lot more interesting stuff coming out especially on in the kind of area i was looking for which was electronic music um, and you know, like a lot of the early stuff was like the the mono put out was kind of like techno or IDM or big beat, and there wasn't there wasn't that that much of that stuff on 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 PC I don't think at that time, and so there were some pretty talented Amiga musicians who were either in the area or moving towards the area. Um, so yeah, so I think that was the original setup, and I think if you look in 1996, we were just releasing mod. Uh, we were only releasing four-channel mods. We were releasing them via LHA files, mainly to BBSs. I think we had an official distribution network of of BBSs, and then we were also uploading them to an FTP site uh, for people on the internet to grab. Wow, amazing. Well, for me, it's super interesting because I always skipped the Amiga. I went straight from the Commodore 64 to PC. So all this is like never heard of that. That is why I'm happy that we have Martin here, because for me, Netlabel totally didn't happen. I mean, I started with Napster downloading MP3 files. That's all I did. <laughs> Yeah, this is you, you know this is also one one of the reasons why why I love to talk to you um, because um, as I as I already mentioned in in, in this one email I also uh, made some sort of of net labels I was involved in Subsource uh, 2063 music Octagon at NobiProof.net and your site was really just like one one of the first site that really uh, you know jumped at me and told me hey this is so cool I just want to make the same and um, <clears throat> if, if I remember these days um, I also have a just like a little bit history in the demo scene but then I it totally 
faded away the Damascene thing. It came back later then. So I found it super interesting that that you made it just like th through the the internet, uh, not internet, through through the demo scene, then to finally reach the internet. So um, I think it's quite interesting, though. So yeah. we could say Simon is your role model, Martin. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I'm, 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 I'm just looking, and I think one of the reasons it was kind of interesting early on for us was. Um, you know, I, I was working with people I'd worked with in demos in in, in demos in groups, but they sort of became members. Of, we, we had the idea of members of the group for a while, but I think eventually the kind of members idea disappeared in the same way they were named, you know, members of the demo scene. But I sort of had some guest guest releases as well. And obviously, obviously, folks like Super Now, uh, Super NAO and Yoke, who are reasonably well known Amiga guys. Um, uh, you know, and, and I, I ended up picking up something where, like, in 1996, they only put it on the internet on 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 his homepage, and most people wouldn't have access to that. Um, and it was a re oh, apparently I'm looking at the release ID, and it says it was a really slow FTP site. <laughs> so, so I was like, why don't I re-release that on Mono? And I got and I and I and I and I and I, and I, and I got permission for that. So it was kind of like happening around the demo scene stuff but mainly uh, as you say like even in 96 maybe amiga amiga scene was slowing down in 96 but there were still plenty of people who were interested in sharing music and obviously the good thing about mods is mods work perfectly well on on pc because a, a lot of people on pc were using .xm or .it but all those mod players on pc were playing mods just the same and you couldn't really tell the difference so that's that's how that happened. And if I look at the early releases, I even got like I guess the first multi-channel release I did was a guy called Bjorn Lin. I don't know if you know Bjorn Lin, but he was he was a uh, he was he was one of the musicians actually for Team Seventeen for a long time, and he did a bunch of the music I think for like Worms and stuff like that. So he so I was releasing um I, I was releasing some some multi-channel stuff from him back in back in '96 as well, and then started getting more into the multi-channel stuff using some of the old some of the old folks who released on Cosmic. And uh, yeah, and then from there, from 96 to 99, it was all um, either mod, XM or IT. Um, and I had some sub labels as well. But then starting in 99, I started releasing MP3s, which was kind of quite, quite early, I think, for MP3s on the internet. You know, I think Napster only started in 2000 or 2001. So certainly we weren't the first MP3s on the internet, but probably some of the first people releasing free free mp3s that were not pirated on the internet <laughs> i remember i still was with the dial up modem and it took half an hour to download one piece of song one piece of music yeah and yeah, while i was... did that i was chatting over napster with somebody in brazil was <laughs> super crazy <laughs> It, it was yeah it was it was really slow at that time so so as you say to download stuff so it was really only like you know i'm I'm looking at this stuff and I, and I, I and we were releasing um like eps eventually but most of the 1999 releases that were uh mp3s were single pieces of music and they were probably encoded uh not very high quality like 112 uh, kbps or something so they didn't take so long to download and and we eventually released mixes and some of those mixes are pretty low quality because of the um, you know the amount of time it would take to download them at the time, so they're like 64 kbps, which sounds sounds pretty bad nowadays. But um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, we were releasing a lot of stuff, and we were particularly well known because uh, we did release a lot of stuff. I'm looking I'm looking at this. There's now obviously a, a site called Net Label Archive. If you're not aware of this, netlabelarchive.org, and it was just made by a fan. 
and he he put all the releases up um and we have 493 releases from 96 to 2009 and just on the main label that there's um yeah there's there's like a couple of hundred yeah there's, there's more than a couple of hundred so so um actually maybe 493 is only the amount on the on on monotonic so i think if you go to the other ones there's additional releases we had other sub labels as well so um yeah so there's a lot of music <laughs> um maybe before we we, we talk about architect.org what what would you say what was your um uh not, not say motivation but what 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 was your your conscious idea about what to release and why was it just like some friends came up to you and you just listened to the track and said hey cool this is This is nice, just like put it up, or was it just like more um, trying to find a special style of music, or um, how was it for you? Yeah, I mean, I think it was quite inspired by. Like, I listened to a lot of electronic music at the time, and honestly, like if you look at a lot of a lot of Amiga demo scene, Amiga demo scene music, it's not very trendy. A lot, and I used to make this music as well. It's quite kind of like demo scene music's just kind of like you know sub jean michel jar kind of <laughs> you know just catchy music or chip tunes and people weren't really trying to do like techno or um idm or drum and bass so that was one of the main things that i was interested in and actually the first release um the the uh, first release on the mono label um is uh is 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 a is a remix by me i think of uh, a song by dreamfish and that was a trance track and um i did a i did a remix um with some swearing in it i think uh but um <laughs> but yeah i mean i was just trying to do something different and i think i think i think the stuff we did that was interesting is we did a bunch of remixes and people didn't really do remixes i mean you do remixes for electronic for dance music but people didn't really remix mods so we did a bunch of interesting interesting remixes people would mix other other people's mods around and then also i'd say we you know I, i ended up expanding the kind of people you know quite a lot of people would submit music to us over time so so we gradually expanded to have a lot more interesting music from all over the world and certainly some of the um there's actually there's actually a guy whose name was dreamfish at the time who's uh, still around and he did a mix recently of the early big beat stuff and and that was a lot of interesting stuff from folks like mortimer twang there's this guy mortimer twang out of sweden who uh, is known for being like a super good kind of like big beat electronic guy and i think i ended up getting in contact with him somehow maybe via uh via the internet after i heard his stuff and so in some cases i would find people who had like maybe smaller labels and i'd say hey do you want to like guest release something but it was definitely set up quite a lot like a um like a real record label and i think that was sort of the interesting thing it was like a real record label but applied to at that at that point amiga mods and we would put out a lot of stuff we put out like a track a week really so so there was quite there was quite a lot to listen to and it was all it was all pretty interesting and quite kind of high end i guess and so uh, and actually actually that era was even more unique in some ways because when you start releasing mods uh, when you start releasing mp3s sort of e e anyone can make an mp3 but mods are quite difficult to make in that quality in four channels so that's why i think people were particularly into into that stuff at the time yeah uh, i i still i still some of them very very famous releasing coming from that label <laughs> so I, i can tell you i also was just like uh 
with the download times, just like, oh, there's a new release. And just what you said, uh, we're just like single track releases is absolutely unusual. Maybe maybe today it's it's maybe again something that you would release single tracks on SoundCloud or even on Spotify where people just like produce for single tracks. But I think with this with this download constraints, it was just like, wow, a new single track is just like a release and I put it into my download manager and then in the next morning, the download will be finished. Yeah, it's <laughs> quite, quite, quite amazing times. Um, um, there were um, back in the days. There were also some 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 other releases then popping up. Just what I said. I also started similar activities since 1999, and there was about I would say maybe 20 net labels mm -hmm. who did this uh, between 1999 and 2010, maybe more or less. Um, e e even more later, of course. But 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 I think there was there was just like a phase where just like 20 net labels were existing roundabout. And there was quite a sort of, at least for me, it was just like a really small online community hanging together. Most of the people knew each other. I mean, of course, mostly we are we are chatting, not in person because they were all distributed all over the world. But uh, at least for me, this was a very cozy time and maybe one of my very first experiences of what an online community can be. Um, how was it for you? Were there also contacts to other net labels? Uh, in an intense way, or was it just like does not play the big role for me? How how was it for you? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I think so. I think you know I was noticing there were a lot of other other interesting net labels out there, and I definitely remember you know like um, you know uh, um, Forty Thieves was running run that was pretty interesting, and there was some real real interesting stuff out there. So I definitely agree. I think there was a point where there was a bunch of other stuff sort of starting to come up, but there weren't the ridiculous amount of music there was now because, again, it was still quite difficult to upload and download MP3s from the internet, or maybe people were more obsessed with getting getting free MP3s, like pirated MP3s, I mean. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, no, I, I definitely feel like there was a time when we were starting to get really interesting stuff. I don't know if I'm looking at, uh, you know, 2002 for the stuff that Mono was releasing. There was some really cool stuff in there. There's like there was like um, Vert's Vert's chip tune um, um, chip album FX 2.0 and Vert, you know, who's Jake Kaufman, has gone on to do a bunch of very very popular um, you know music soundtracks and he's also doing 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 animation stuff nowadays. So he's definitely someone who's ended up becoming pretty popular. Uh, there was the, the the there was a person called Grandma or also known as Connor Connor Kirby Long. Like his stuff on on mono is amazing even now it's like he, he did it all he was 16 at the time and he just did it on mp3s with like a microphone he he, he got with like a um a, a, like a, a some kind of packing with some other it was very poor quality it's sort of my oh here we are a microphone from a japanese language learning cd-rom was his only was his only microphone oh, wow. and he was doing and he was doing a he was doing a single take for all his guitar and vocal elements and he i guess he's only 15 at that point but his stuff was really amazing and he ended up he ended up going on to release um, a, a really good album on 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 the label type uh, which is sort of quite well known outside of um, outside of net labels so i think yeah i think at the time there was really interesting stuff coming out and it was at the point where some of these people who were sending us music didn't just make mods like you know like grandma was not was not a, a scene musician he was just somebody who like found our stuff and was willing to send us uh, stuff he just just made himself. So I think I think I think that, that that is the kind of time when it sort of got more exciting, and I, and, I, and I do think there were labels like like Tokyo Dawn and other labels like that that I was I was definitely definitely keeping an eye on and sort of 
talking to other folks from, yeah. Just wanted to ask, that label, is that really its name Grandma? Because that is what I understood. Grandma? Yeah. Oh, oh, um, yeah. Um, um, actually, it's, 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 it's the name of the artist is Grandma, but that particular Really? Guy, really? Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, I didn't. I didn't misunderstand. Okay. Just wanted to no, make but sure. his, uh, his 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 stuff. If if you go to his entry on Discogs.com, you'll see his 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 pseudonyms are all pretty interesting. His other ones include like uh, I I Cactus, um, um, a Clown Connection, uh, okay. Stretch MCs, Jimmy Buffer. Um, anus Morissette. <laughs> is, is okay, of, I, I see. I see. Uh, so. so he 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 has he has interesting stuff. But yeah, no, he's he, he's he's really good. Connor, Connor Kirby Long, uh, aka Connor. I recommend checking out his stuff. But, but it's really grandma. Okay, I didn't. Yeah, didn't yeah. It. Okay. Yeah, I find it so funny that you also <clears throat> mentioned that, uh, because I also remember the time uh, where people just like downloading some software, starting music, just like start to produce with whatever they have. There were no tutorials uh, available. People were mostly just like, oh, music with software, this is super strange. Uh, uh, our software must be made by hands and so on. And, uh, and it's a totally different time compared to today where you have one million tutorials for everything, you know? Um, and it was very, uh, I just remember it a very uh, explore, exploring form of, of, of uh, how to make things. That that was, I think, also very amazing. Yeah, and it, it it was also fun for me because I was sort of going back and forth. I'm looking at some of the other releases in 2002, and also in 2002, um, I, I I ended up working with the folks who did this tracker called AHX, um, and that's uh that's Martin Wadox and Manfred Linsner, and they ended up doing a German game company called Shinnen mm. or Shinen, however you say that, and 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 they were doing like like soundtracks for like Tony Hawk's Pro Scooter on the Game Boy. But they also had this really cool like synthetic tracker on Amiga called called AHX and ended up putting out an, an, an album, I think also in MP3 format. Yeah, also an MP3 format of the best tracks ever made in that format because because dot ahx is not a very well-known format even on Amiga. So uh, at that point, I managed I could do an MP3 version of the album as well. And so that's that's that, and, and so that was cool. So at the same time, I was looking at stuff like like Grandma, who was just making MP3s. I was also looking at kind of some some historical stuff that I thought was good, like this best of best of AXS com AHX compilation. So that it was good to kind of switch between the retro stuff and the um, and the, and the and the newer stuff. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um... And, and and then at a certain day, Archived Oak was coming along, because before um, it was quite difficult sometimes to host uh, MP3s. I guess uh, I think Scene.org helped here a little bit, but they were sometimes a little bit just like hmm, maybe maybe selective or uh, is it seen or is it not seen, and how how can we make the difference and so on. And then what I heard about, and I would love to hear the story from you, uh, is uh, um, how how then archive.org was coming into play. Because yeah. yeah, because I think still still it's very just like a backbone of the complete net level thing. 
Yeah, I mean, it was good timing, basically. But basically, what happened was um, I was working. You know, I I worked in. I can't still kind of work in video games, but I was working in video games basically from nineteen ninety six onwards. And I ended up. I was working in the UK where I'm from, but I ended up moving to California to work for a video game company. Uh, and uh, and then I was working with them all the way through um, two thousand and one or two thousand two or through a couple of those companies. And I worked on kind of some some PlayStation 1 and original Xbox games as a designer. But then I ended up deciding that I didn't want to work in directly in video games anymore. So I ended up do, doing a, a bunch of other stuff for a couple of years. And one of those was um, definitely like I was working with the Internet Archive already uh, just because I, I, they were based in San Francisco and I sort of and, 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 and I got to know them a little bit. And there was a project where I ended up um, helping them scan some children's books. So it wasn't really related to um, net labels at all. But um, I ended up going to their offices a bit. And obviously, the Internet Archive is a really amazing organization. It was founded by this guy called, 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 um, called Booster Kale. And he he was um, a very early kind of he actually originally made he originally made a a um, a, a Alexa.com. So the fact it's it's kind of funny. I think Alexa.com just got closed down. But the fact that Amazon Amazon's AI is called Alexa is due to the fact that Amazon bought uh, bought Brewster's company. Uh, this is like. 25 years ago or whatever um so 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 he's definitely got some 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 significant history in the tech industry and he decided he really wanted mainly to run a non-profit and what he was trying to do was to save knowledge and obviously the main thing he was doing and is still doing is is archiving web pages because he correctly worked out that if nobody archives web pages you'll never be able to see see what's on them after they go down so you know that they've been doing that since the late 90s but they also had this separate area where Basically, you know, they were working on very large storage, uh, you know, petabyte, petabyte servers, many petabyte servers. And and so they were like, well, OK, it's, it's actually OK if we make some other collections. And uh, the exciting thing about that at that time, as you know, it was, um, you know, you could upload, you could get your own account and you could upload and you could upload as much uh, as much as you liked. And it was free. And that was basically un unprecedented at that time. And so. Um, I think around that time, I, I, I started uploading, um, obviously, the mono releases to the, to the Internet Archive because it was, just, it was basically another, another mirror. I was, I was certainly on scene.org. But to your point, I think if you weren't originally a mod group, scene.org probably, probably wouldn't let you on so easily. Like if you were just an MP3 only group, because, you know, like if you, if you didn't make your music in the scene, why would scene.org let you, uh, you know, let, 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 um, let, 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 let you on? So I think, uh, I think there was a point where, as I recall it, you know, like there were there were net labels uploading, or certainly I was uploading, and then I was kind of like, well, why can't we just have a collection for this? And uh, Brewster and whoever else was ar was around at the time were fine with that. So we just ended up setting up uh, setting up a net label collection, and you know, the subgroups were just all the net labels who'd been uploading on their own, and then from there you could apply. Uh, and and basically get your own collection, and so that's the, and, and and that was super useful. Also because you know the page, I don't know if you had it to start with, but certainly nowadays the page has a play button, and you can listen to it, uh, you know, and you can and, and, and you can listen to it without having to download it, which is or it obviously it down, it's downloading in your browser, I guess. So that made it even even easier. So so that's sort of my recollection. I was at the Internet Archive for 
other reasons. And also I was helping them out with the, some of their software archiving at the time uh, that they were trying to work out how to archive large collections of software and video games. And so I I, um, I helped them set up their their uh, their two cows collection. If you guys know two cows, T-E-C-O-W-S, two cows with a very large PC shareware collection. And so that and so that they ended up running running a complete mirror of that, which I helped a little bit with the setup of and some other stuff. But yeah, basically I was around them enough that I, I had privileges on their system, I guess. Mm. And then I uh, and, and then I and then I asked them if it was okay and then and they were fine with that. So I think I just ended up mainly mainly setting up setting up myself. You know, the Internet Archive is quite de deregulated on that side of the business even now like they don't have tons of people it's just kind of like well you just upload anything you like and, it, and it's fine yeah. it's true it's true in 2014 i had an interview with stuart Sofay mm -hmm. from Q uh, computer chronicles and he told me he is the reason that um archive started uh, archiving um videos and them they are the reason that later there was youtube popping up Mm -hmm. Because the YouTube people were just across the street from the archive.org people. And that is how it all happened. So archive.org plays a big role in not only net labels, but also in, in the video um, uploading business. And um, I think uh, Martin recalls that because we had an interview two years ago with archive.org. And this was a topic also, actually. Yeah, and I, 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 I actually remember Stuart was working at the Internet Archive at the time. So I do remember, I think I met him like once or like, like, like once or twice. But yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. Like so, some of that stuff was so early because it was just so rare. Like no one had these large petabyte servers besides the very biggest tech companies in the Internet Archive. So it was very cool that the Internet Archive was willing to use them for stuff that, that, uh, that other people would have considered to be, I guess, uh, you know, too expensive. Yeah, yeah, this is this is um, absolutely the context because back back in the days, even hosting some simple MP3s was super expensive. Uh, may, maybe nowadays it's maybe hard to imagine how how really expensive it was just like to host some megabytes somewhere. And I, I found it so remarkable that that just like by this maybe let's name it coincidence, you just opened the door for the, for the net labels, and without that, because many of the net label pages then disappeared later. And uh, w without having this backup on archive.org, then even the music files were mostly gone because server hosting costs and so on and so on and so on. So archive.org at, 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 this, at this point does exactly what, what it wanted to do. Uh, just like you know, preserving the records of the history. So, <laughs> yeah. Although it's, it's it's kind of funny. I imagine they would have never envisaged that would have happened. You know, like they open yeah. it up for people, uh, and then people upload it, but also have it on their site. And then yeah, because because uh, archive.org, the website can't, or at least historically did couldn't couldn't keep that large, uh, l l you know, large files. So so yeah. So I I, don't, I think it's an unintended effect of something that ended up working out working out pretty well. But you know, I think I think the Internet Archive is still. To some extent, the website of the Internet Archive, you know, it has a very clear, uh, clear, clear kind of um, uh, um, clear goal. But I think the non-website of the Internet Archive, it is and continues to be a little bit of a jumble. Uh, 
Uh, and you know, and obviously uh, Jason Scott's the, the 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 guy. I don't know if you've ever spoken to or interviewed Jason. That's but... the one we we interviewed. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so you know, so so Jason's the guy who has to deal with all the incoming stuff on the on the non website of the Internet Archive. But it's insane. Like he's one guy, and they get like tens of thousands of uploads a day or something. And you know, and it can just be anything, arbitrary files, right? So so I think it's sort of a bit of a Pandora's box in in both directions. It's kind of like wow. Yeah. So so much good stuff's getting uploaded on the one hand but on the other hand a lot of it is uh, unsorted or <laughs> suspect or duplicate and uh, i guess the good thing about the internet archive setup was that the way that we managed to set it up was clearly each label got a collection you could only upload in that collection and it did require me to manually approve like ev every single net label uh, on on uh, which, which is currently there which i think is hundreds but 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 we were lucky that I wasn't doing anything else for the Internet Archive at that point. I'd I'd, I'd gone on to my my uh, my current job, my my previous job, which was working working at working at Gama Sutra and um, Game Developers Conference. So so I could just do that in my spare time. Whereas you know just just one person, there's no way you could set up collections right now for the tens of thousands of stuff coming in every day. So I think Jason does a really good job and the best job he can in kind of sorting everything. But it's like a it's like a fire hose of content. That's true. <laughs> and interestingly, when this is released, it will also be in a scene world podcast collection on archive.org as a backup. <laughs> so <laughs> so you're so, coming yeah. back to form them. <laughs> exactly. And I I still remember the pain because you always need to have Fifty files of this of one type, and you have to make every upload single a single entry, and that mm -hmm. took me like two weeks to, yes. to in my free time in the evening to upload all fifty single files. So yep. the process is still tedious, still nowadays. Yeah, super super complex. Yeah, no, it's 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 interesting. I mean, I think it, the good news is it's sort of managed to keep it's managed to include a whole bunch of stuff that would never have got archived on the internet otherwise. But I think you know, certain, certainly the you know the bad news is that it is very unstructured. So 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 I think that that's the uh, that, that that's the negative. But yeah, no, I, I definitely really love those guys, and I think that there's there's that there's no way that. Uh, that a whole bunch of that stuff would have got saved otherwise. And in fact, and in fact, when when the when the when the net label archive guy came back and started putting all this together, in many cases, I think he was finding stuff only only on the Internet Archive, and it wasn't available elsewhere. So yeah. And interestingly, it also depends where you are living. Here in Germany, archive.org is only basically known for their Wayback machine, where you can where you can look at how websites looked in 1996 or something so and the rest is not much known in germany i don't know why that is but it's probably oh, because well. it's so it's it's so unstructured <laughs> i mean yeah and and, <laughs> I, and and i forgot to mention like the original audio side of things i think was mainly set up for their uh, for their bootleg slash Grateful Dead collection, so that's a very California thing, you know. You know, the, the Grateful Dead obviously are a very famous jam band, and 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 the Internet Archive had a very large jam band archive on it before that labels, and it's one of the reasons why all the audio stuff was was being sorted out at that time because there's there's like thousands of Grateful Dead performances, and the Grateful Dead I think were fine uh, fine at that time with these all being available, and so it really so there's a whole episode it's not a scene world episode but there's a whole episode about how tape trading changed in in the jam band world when the internet archive started doing its its um, jam band uh, collection so yeah 
Do you do you know if there are some some um, connections between, let's say, the invention of the Creative Commons license and archive.org? Do you, do you know if there are some? I don't know. People spoke uh, with each other or something. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I think Lawrence Lawrence Lessig was the guy who did Creative Commons originally. I think, and I I, I know I, I know that yeah I, I know there were there were some discussions at the time because I also dealt with the Creative Commons folks a little bit early on because um, one of the things I was really trying to do was I was pushing uh, all net labels to assign Creative Commons licenses to their releases because it was very confusing otherwise, and I think that's something that it got. I think uh, the Internet Archive had had a flag you could add for what Creative Commons license it had, as, as I recall. Yes, you can. Yes. Yeah. It's asking me here every time I upload a new episode. Yeah. What yeah. kind of license you want to add? None. And then you have different <laughs> versions of Creative Commons. Yeah. 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 So, 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 so my recollection is that, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, they're both Bay Area kind of like organizations. And I do think that the Internet Archive and Creative Commons were quite were quite close to each other when they were sort of sort of setting that kind of stuff out. But I, I don't think I ever, ever, ever directly dealt with that. It was just something that I uh, I was trying to push for. And it's certainly in the net label world, because I was kind of like, well, you, you want to have a license on it. Otherwise, someone's going to put it in their video game and say it was fine because they found it on the Internet, <laughs> um, which, which is something that sometimes happens. Uh, so I think if you have a clear kind of like and there's obviously like a no derivatives license where you can just spread it, spread it as much as you want. But yeah, you don't have to do that. I think I think the most famous case, actually, Timberland um who who took a c64 music piece and put it in in his own music claiming it was his yeah i think i remember that that was a, that was a commodore 64 track or something right so yeah from yeah. somebody in norway right yeah 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 so then so... rune galifos ah okay yeah so 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 are you are you folks more do you cover more commodore 64 stuff than amiga generally on this on this podcast well, I, I'm I, since I never owned an Amiga, I'm more Commodore 64. But we have other members that are more Amiga. Um, but our main podcast moderator that has an Amiga now gets his booster injection today. So ah, that's yeah. why he couldn't make it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's, 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 that's no problem. Yeah, yeah. No, I was definitely a Spectrum, then an Amiga, then a I don't know. Then I sort of phased out. So that that was that was that was sort of my history. Um, but yeah, I was um, maybe just like speaking about the context a bit more because I remember we were releasing on the internet. There wasn't anything just like Creative Commons, and at least uh, my, the people around me uh, were, were just like discussing: Are we even allowed to publish this on our websites and so on? And it was just like a super confusion. Um, and then, of course, the Creative Commons came and everyone embraced it from the scene, as far as I know, at least from the net level scene. It was just like seemed just like a natural fit. But I think you still found uh, some older files uh, that, that were just like released before the Creative Commons was just like coming coming along. And people were not re-licensing these uh, files and they are still just like with an unclear, just like in the end, uh, one must say classical copyright thing. Yeah. That of course you are not allowed to just like take, <laughs> but 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 uh, uh, it's just like classical copyrighted and it's absolutely unclear because nobody knows what to do with it. Yeah, and uh, I mean it's interesting, uh, and it, it, in hindsight, Creative Commons is has not really become that popular. I think at the time people were like, everyone's going to be doing this, but actually, Creative Commons like you don't hear anyone talking about Creative Commons nowadays. 
uh, yeah. I, I don't think so. So, so I feel like it was an interesting idea. It's, it was basically uh, taking the software license concept and and and, and applying it to media, because uh, because there's all kinds of obviously GPL licenses and stuff in in in, in the software area. But um, yeah, I, I I don't know. I think it's I think it's kind of debatable uh, whether it was a big difference. Oh my god, I can't freaking deal with this. <laughs> well, um, well, I can say I, the first time I heard it, heard about it was when Flickr came around twenty twenty oh five, and then they made it a big thing that you could flag your photos with different licenses licenses, and uh, people people could could use the photos for their creative um, projects and stuff, if it was Creative Commons. And I remember there are different versions on it. Some you have to credit the author and some versions you don't have to credit the author. And uh -huh. some are for private use and some are for commercial use only. So there are tons of Creative Commons versions. Yeah, no, no, that's true. I'd forgotten about Flickr and Flickr. You're right. It was used more in photography than it was in um, in music to some extent, I think. Yeah. Perhaps the reason why it was never used much is because there are so many complicated versions of Creative Commons. Um, yeah, you're right. There are a lot. And I think that was one of the things I remember when we were trying to apply it to the Internet. Like we were trying to just get down to like two or three. I think the other thing is it's like it, it, it it's like the, the internet tends towards stuff either being explicitly paid or explicitly free and i think anything in between the internet wants to ignore if you know what i mean <laughs> so i think if you're like well it's free but under these circumstances people are just like eh, whatever it's either it's either free or it's not <laughs> so 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 it's almost like a hook problem it's kind of like well you know why would i you know and, and I, I do think in some countries like i've noticed like uh, not to stereotype Germany, but Germany's quite buttoned up about stuff, stuff like this, quite specific about the rules. And I'm sure the German music publishing companies are very hardcore about this and stuff like this. And in some other countries, I do feel like they're either they either care about it less or it or people just don't really notice, I think, because because I, I, I had a similar conversation. I'm working with my current company with a with a contractor who's based in Germany. And I had some conversations with him about like like tax recently where he was kind of like, well, won't the US tax authorities worry about this thing? And I'm kind of I'm, I'm not doing anything bad, by the way. Yeah, yeah, and, and I was kind of like, well, the German tax authorities probably do, but the US folks, they're just too busy to like even work out what that would mean. Okay. Uh, so, 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 yeah, so, so, I, so I do think there were some some cultural differences with, with, with stuff like that. And also in Japan, like, like Japan is still very, um, very, I'd say, conservative when it comes to sharing stuff. And, you know, you can get arrested still, I think, in Japan for pirating stuff like quite easily. And, you know, that's clearly not the case in, in, in the US, for example. That's that's actually true. Yeah, when they started uh, finding people that downloaded stuff illegally and then you had fines of three thousand euros. Mm -hmm. That's really hurting you. Yeah. It would hurt me at least. Um, yeah. So I totally, totally understand. Yeah. But uh, but that is also, I think, how how things like um, iTunes came mm -hmm. to play where, where suddenly it was Apple, I think, who found a mode where people found it acceptable to pay for digital music. 
Yeah, it was interesting. I mean, I think I think what happens is eventually the ease of using something outweighs the negatives of get. You know, you, you go on. Yeah, uh, you you're worried you might get busted. Uh, like the files were broken. People had fake file names on stuff. You couldn't find what you wanted. It took ages to download. There were there were all kinds of issues, which you know eventually Apple managed to get around that by. Yeah, starting out with you had to pay for your MP3s and eventually, you know, the subscription model, which obviously is working for uh, Apple, at least. Uh, I, I think it kind of works for musicians, but yeah. Hmm, hmm. Yeah, well, at, at some point it all keys to exist. I mean, I think Martin told me once that net labels are not around anymore, basically. I, I'm not sure what your opinion about this is. I mean, sure, there are still net labels, but but I think this this time from 1999 till 2010 roundabout was just like uh, a super intense decade maybe where uh, all all this stuff were also just like happening all, all, we, all what we talked about piracy uh, first downloading mp3s then creative commons coming along just like uh, people pushing out independently some 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 music Many, yep. many of the things that are pretty standard nowadays, just like, I don't know, you go to SoundCloud or somewhere else or uh, Bandcamp and just like publish your things. And, and in this decade, all these things were just like coming together, you know. Yeah, it, it was a supply and demand issue. Like one of the reasons I stopped doing um, doing the net label was I, I just thought there was too much else out there. And I was, you know, when I was doing it early on, there was an enthusiastic audience and there wasn't a lot of stuff available. And now and towards the end, there was just a lot of stuff available. And then to your point, people were listening to commercial MP3s and stuff. Whereas early on, net labels were one of the few things you could listen to on the internet easily without pirating stuff. And actually at the time I founded, I don't know if you know this, but I, I, I founded a site called legaltorrents.com and it was a legal BitTorrent site. And the reason that we set that up, what I set that up was, I was fed up with everyone saying that BitTorrent was amazing and people used it legally because nobody was using it legally. They were all like, it can be used legally, but no one could actually be bothered to do that. So, so, so this was, I think, the early 2000s and it ran for maybe, maybe I don't know, three or four years. <laughs> and, 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 it, and it was only legal stuff. And it had a bunch of really big music kind of zips on it. It had, um, it, it had episodes of like, kind of like online TV show kind of things. And it had, I can't even remember all the stuff it had on it at this point. I think it maybe had some audio sample CDs on it and stuff, but yeah, it was kind of, and it had a lot of people downloaded and st stuff on there. So I thought that was an interesting, interesting thing. And I was, it was kind of like, not completely. I also did it to, to obviously to distribute Mono's music because a lot of people were downloading like big, big, big zips of, 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 of music via BitTorrent. It was an efficient way to do that. But yeah, that was around the time where everyone was like, yeah, you know, like BitTorrent's amazing and you can use it for good. But no, but no one wanted to use it for good. <laughs> but wasn't, wasn't the primal, the, the uh, primal use of legal uh, downloads for torrents Linux distributions? Uh, yes, and I think I might have had a Linux distribution on there as well, um, but um, but yeah, I, I think I think I think in general, uh, maybe Linux distributions was the only thing that was that was using it, and uh, and 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 I think not even a whole bunch when I started doing this stuff. So so yeah, it was it was kind of interesting to find the, find the legal stuff that you could have up there. Is torrent still used? Does anyone know? Is it still around? Yeah, or sure. Is it, just like... it, it still it still is. It still is. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's, it's used quite a lot. And also, also, some people use it, some commercial companies use it so they don't have to use as much bandwidth. Like, I believe Blizzard, doesn't mm. Blizzard use it on the World of Warcraft on various installers uh, for its games in the background? So, so yeah, so the, the, all that kind of peer-to-peer stuff can be can be helpful. Uh, but, um, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's gone a little bit more underground, I would say. And I think some people nowadays, like, will just, rather than individually download a whole bunch of stuff, they'll just subscribe to some kind of, pirate service has everything or something like that i don't even know i don't i don't pirate stuff nowadays but um, <laughs> or, or, or you can still use usenet it doesn't usenet still exist but purely for pirating <laughs> stuff true 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 <laughs> yeah and 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 it was used the peer-to-peer -peer was used for for the first um online tv service called Joost from the same people that made uh kazaa ah and um, yeah, so I, I, I remember because I mean, I mean, if you if you think about the net label overlap with those services, uh, SoulSeek, there's a service called SoulSeek, S O U L S E K. Oh, yeah, SoulSeek. Um, like SoulSeek was the one that had like all the cool slash interesting electronic stuff on it. And it was a bit more of a, like a hipster sharing service, I would say. And so some 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 real some net label releases got shared on SoulSeek as well. But there was a lot of um, a lot of pirate stuff as well. Yeah, I remember Soulseek. It was just like <clears throat> there, there you could download all the vinyls you couldn't afford before. <laughs> yeah, it, it was pretty good, and there it was, was some techno, good, uh, underground techno stuff and things like that. Yeah, uh, there, 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 was, there was some good overlap there with some other labels. Like, like there was this label called Merck Records, M E R C K, who released a lot of like commercial stuff that had quite a lot of overlap with some of the net label folks, like 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 some of the mono stuff. And Merck also, I think, were another kind of Soulseek adjacent kind of kind of uh, label. Yeah. Jörg, do you have an idea for a next question? Otherwise, maybe. Well, well, I mean, I mean, from my side, we got it covered. As I said, I don't have much knowledge about the topic. Just where the interface in between are with mainly with archive.org and Stuart Sofei, but that is solely because we spoke to archive.org and Stuart Sofei beforehand. So when you yep. when you mentioned archive.org, I was like, okay, I remember that bit. But other than that, in net labels not really i don't really have much knowledge so i learned a lot today i'm really thankful for that because this whole piece of history i i i only learned about from from martin basically you know yeah and it's it's it's, it's it, important stuff um sorry go ahead martin yeah yeah, yeah do, do you think um, we should talk more about topics like this because for me personally because maybe i have the experience <clears throat> so i think it was a very interesting time this this years on the internet where just like um online just like uh, pioneers of online culture maybe something like that um and and so few people know about this i talked to many people and they oh no i never heard about this especially younger people mm. you know we know everything about 80s uh, ga computer games but about this just Nothing. <laughs> I, I, have, I have an interesting anecdote about that, actually, which is, um, I, I, you know, nowadays, you know, my job is, uh, uh, well, I have my own company about video game discovery. So I sort of help game companies work out kind of, I don't know, why games are popular, I guess. And uh, as part of that, I'm the investor in a, a game publisher called a game publisher called No More Robots. And they publish a game called, called, called Hypnospace Outlaw. And if you haven't seen Hypnospace Outlaw, it's a 90s web browser simulator that is also a uh, kind of mystery game. 
and it's actually really good and you should, you should check it out and um, actually three of my old mods are in the game because the guy who made the game was looking, has a lot, of, a lot of music in the game and, and was looking for extra music so some of my mods got into the game but anyhow like uh, that, that, that was the original game and um, you know and I think they're thinking about kind of, kind of you know no, no spoilers here there's nothing been announced for new Hypnospaces but they're thinking about thinking about if they were going to do anything in, in the future and that game is very much about the kind of GeoCities era you know the GeoCities oh, era yeah. being kind of, kind of kind of the late 90s and that's like really or, or really iconic but then if you get a little bit later kind of 2000 to 2005 and that's when a lot of the net label stuff happened you know they were asking i was asking is there anything iconic in that era is the stuff that people really remember and the answer generally is no <laughs> even though like interesting stuff happened then and you're right napster is probably something that you would mention from that era but it's <laughs> it, it's less it's less standout like like if, if you look at if you look at the web pages being created in that era they're kind of like often like slightly watered down versions of like the cool the 90s stuff that looks cool now so i actually think i think i think i think i think one of the issues with some some of, with that era is it actually either it's not interesting enough or people haven't found the nostalgia angle with that era yet and so it's just ended up becoming a bit a bit uninteresting to people but i agree i think i think it can be it can be interesting but it, it, it seems to have less less hooks than the uh, classic kind of 90s internet mm -hmm. yeah <clears throat> valid valid point yeah yeah just like uh because I also seen this if you if you I don't know look into books about this time, then you just have one screenshot from Napster, for example, and some two two other screenshots, and that's it. I mean, it's very hard to 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 get this feeling compared to putting up an, an old NES and putting up the card and fire up some some retro game, then you have a totally different experience. Because I think also this this. Um, Part of the experience it's very hard to emulate is just like this feeling networked over the internet i mean in a global scale it was quite fantastic thing um quite normal now so it's maybe hard to to tell but putting this into a game maybe this is a genius idea <laughs> yeah and and and, and 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 there's definitely some cool stuff around that time and some of that got put into the the original hypnospace outlaw and if you look in that game there is there is like a there is like a music player that's like a version of winamp and it has the winamp skins and you can switch ah. out the skins and then obviously everyone and that's something which is kind of like close close to this kind of era really so it was kind of you know it's more like a ah. 2000s onwards thing Definitely have to check it out. Winant, by the way, announced to be back this year. So let's see what's happening there. Nice. And I, I, I don't know if you folks remember, there was another, there was a Winamp competitor called Sonic. Do you remember that? S-O-N-I-Q-U-E. Yeah. Yeah, I still yeah, I have it installed. That. I still have oh, it installed. Nice, yeah. Nice. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. So there was there was there was some good stuff back then from kind of the early MP3 days. But in general, yeah, I, in general, I feel like the really iconic stuff is the really early internet stuff like the hamster dance and like midi stuff on pages oh <laughs> the gif gif files and gif is actually having a return nowadays because of the memes yep use as a, a mod icons <laughs> yeah but maybe the most iconic is winham itself right yep yeah, no, no, it's really, it's really classic, and there's all kinds of uh, um, uh, uh, amazing stuff you can, you can, you can find for that still. So yeah, so I mean, I think, and obviously, Winamp did play. Winamp had plugins for mods, right? Uh, it, it played MP3s, but I think it had plugins for. Yes, like, mods, it had, it had, it had plugins even for zip files, whatever you want, anything. Yeah, you can play anything. 
Yeah, I know. It was, it was good. And I, I remember at the time, by the way, it was a bit controversial in the Amiga scene because uh, many mod emulations were not imperfect because it, it was all PC users. And they didn't know what the original Amiga mod sounded like. So I so I, I believe there was one person who I used to, who who I didn't work with. But when, when I worked in Guildford, uh, he was a guy, uh, I worked in video games in Guildford, which is where Bullfrog uh, was. And he worked at Bullfrog at the time. And he was a bit of a demo scene guy. And I think he coded, if I recall correctly, I think he, he coded the mod the mod plugin for Winamp that actually works properly with with with, with Amiga mods. So that, that that was that was nice of him. Yeah, yeah, I remember Yeruntel adding a note, which which version and what plugin to use, so it sounds correctly. Um, yeah. So yeah, so some some composers even took care about that, you know. Um, yeah, it would it would it would sound bad because because the Amiga I think had some bugs on certain stuff with ProTracker where it didn't play properly on the Amiga, but when you took it seriously on when you tried to play it on the PC, it would play something different. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, there were, there were there were all kinds of issues like that, which obviously all went away with MP3s. At least at MP3s, you got everything you you, you got everything everything to play correctly. But yeah. The, the game you have mentioned to emulate a '90s web browser does it also emulate that? the different loading speeds of the websites depending on the location where you are and the location where the other website is. I remember Chinese websites were brutally slow to, to open or Australia or whatever from, from me in Germany. It was like incredible loading times. It, it it doesn't do that, but what it does do, Hypnospace Outlaw, is uh, if you wiggle your mouse, uh, the the uh, pages load quicker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So so I, 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 yeah. So 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 you should you should definitely check out and, and and link to this game. It's actually done quite like it's done well. It's interesting. It's very much it like the person who made it is this guy called called um called um Jay Jay Tolan, and he's definitely a guy who grew up. With, with you know with, with with the internet in the 90s so a lot of the references are very 90s but it's got very popular among people in their teens and early 20s now who don't actually know the 90s internet which i think is really really interesting because it just has a real good evocation and that kind of 90s style is is very cool nowadays so the sort of different sets of people in, enjoy that game people who um yeah, people who uh, who who actually lived it, and then and then newer folks, and it's actually available on on um, on on Xbox and PC Game Pass right now. So so if any of your um, any of your listeners have 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 Game Pass, they can they can they can check it out uh, for in quotes free. <laughs> interest, interest, <laughs> interesting, wonderful, wonderful. Yeah. Um, maybe one one question again. Um, when when uh, when then you? I mean, you already said why you stopped uh, making this net label. But um, why did you shut down the site? Why 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 is it uh, uh, available anymore? Oh, you mean actually the web domain isn't available? The web anymore? the web page exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was getting old and hard to maintain. And the sites like netlabelarchive.org now and netlabelarchive.org does a really good, does a better job honestly than 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 my site did in ex, in explaining and listing all the releases and it has all the release information as well so unfortunately the the, the sad thing about the net label archive is that they uploaded 
everything to YouTube at one point, but but sadly their YouTube account got too many copyright strikes and got got deleted. So uh, so that, and obviously they're not going to do that again because they put like thousands. It wasn't just mono; they put like thousands of tracks up. Uh, so the good news is that all the as per normal, the Internet Archive links all work fine. Uh, but um, but yes, but at one point uh, you could go to Net Label Archive and they had embedded YouTube videos of every single release as well, which was really really nice and really easy to use. So yeah, so it was really just like you know I don't necessarily you know need to maintain that web page. It's kind of out of date and broken. It was linking, I think to some old some old pages anyway um but yeah i mean i'm still enthusiastic about uh, you know about the kind of uh, heritage of that of that site and i'm glad that all everything is still available on scene.org and internet archive and i think in in general people people seem to be able to find the mods okay and, and actually i think probably most of the mods are also available on youtube because i don't know if you know somebody at some point did a did a mass import of like the of a gigantic amount of mods onto the Internet Archive, uh, uh, sorry, onto onto YouTube, and they're and they're mainly still available. So I think I think a fair amount of the mods may be available just you know on 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 YouTube, which is an easy way to listen nowadays, you know, in in, in part because of that. So um, so yeah, so so I'm I'm sort of happy with how it went, but, but yeah, I, I I just really stopped I think back in 2009 because I just thought that the, uh, it was just very crowded and I was having fun, but I, I didn't feel like the releases were having the same impact than they used to. And I had a, you know, a lot of other stuff to do with my, with my day job and with other stuff. So I, I, I actually did almost bring it back about five years ago and I was going to bring it back as a, as a paid subscription, which would have been interesting. So, so, it, so, so, <laughs> so it actually would have been, you know, like it was early on in kind of Patreon days. So it would have been kind of like a Patreon kind of thing, but this is before Patreon, uh, Patreon got big actually, so it was a little bit too early. I was I was sort of ahead of my time, and uh, I ended up deciding not to do it because I was trying to use a service called Drip Drip.fm, um, which ended up getting bought by like Kickstarter or something. But anyhow, but but um, it, yeah, but but um, Drip was being kind of a bit difficult with me, and it was kind of early, and I didn't have a ton of releases. Uh, and also, the problem with subscription services is not that many people are going to pay you 10 bucks a month for just the releases on a certain label even if you get them in incredibly high quality so i sort of decided that um that was going to be that was going to be too much but it, it was it was it, it, it was going to be called because the originally the sub label was called monotonic so it was going to be called so it was going to be called it was going to be called monotonic mono t w o nick which, which would have <laughs> good, been a cute name, a cute name. yes nice. but uh but 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 sadly uh so, 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 sadly not but yeah actually one other thing i want to mention about the label that i forgot to mention earlier is we did have a lot of sub labels and that was kind of interesting for the time so just sort of noting that you know we had we had mono the main label and eventually we started getting diverse enough in music that we sort of did monotonic for techno and mono 211 for like the sort of more like uh big beat kind of stuff and so we tried to separate that out but then eventually we also had mono rave ick which was mainly for this one guy subby who did stuff that was all like old school 90s early 90s rave and his stuff is so specific that we just gave him his own label um and then <laughs> and, 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 and 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 then early on we also had a label called, uh, also had a label called nomo which is you know like mono nomo and that was specifically for the stuff that was uh copyright suspect so it was like really remixes of like commercial tracks and stuff when we'd put that out and and then everyone was using pseudonyms for that so that was just me at the time i was kind of 
quite picky about that stuff and I didn't want to put out stuff that was clearly uh, an, uh, like an, another person's tune that was remixed although I'm sure some of the modern stuff has samples in it but when it was like a, uh, like a Fuji's remix or something as a mod I was kind of like no that needs to go on Nomo so we so we would actually release those um, again the, I think that was all mods at that point but we actually released those under kind of like and we wouldn't really necessarily say it was us, but we just put them out under the same under the same kind of general system, and then you'd sort of have to work out who who the artist was. And actually, I think I think the Net Label Archive guy has worked out almost all of the artists in terms of awesome. who the who who the pseudonym was because I've forgotten most of them. <laughs> but but he, he he managed to work them out, so that's good. So I guess it's time to ask what what are you doing nowadays, and where can people find about it? Yeah, so, so 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 for a long time I was involved. As I said, I worked in video video game development until about 2002, and then for over 15 years I was working with the folks at Game Developers Conference and Gamasutra.com and GameDeveloper.com. So it was kind of like you know business to business stuff, and eventually I was helping to run uh, Game Developers Conference itself and some other shows that the parent company has. So um, I'm sort of business guy um but then as of last well i, I guess actually uh mid to mid 2020 I've, I've ended up setting up my own company called game discover co and we basically run a subscription newsletter which is at gamediscover.co if anyone wants to look at it and it's specifically for people who make pc and console video games and it's specifically about you know, why are games popular? Why isn't your game popular? How can you make your game more popular? And this is quite relevant nowadays. And it sort of builds on quite a lot of the stuff I was doing, helping, helping, because I, I helped to set up the Independent Games Summit at GDC. I ran the Independent Games Festival for a number of years. So I'm very, I've been very involved in kind of independent games. I helped to fund, fund this publisher, No More Robots. So, um, yeah, so it's sort of continuing that. So basically I'm running that newsletter and, I, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm consulting with, um, companies in the space who sort of who sort of want want my help. Uh, so I'm 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 working with companies like .mu, who are the folks who did the Streets of Rage uh, um, for recently, and they're working on the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game. So I'm sort of I'm 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 sort of helping them out on sort of on sort of discovery and sort of release dates and platforms and it's so so yeah it's it's kind of it's 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 kind of it's, it's kind of interesting for me and it's it's a good thing for me to do at this point in my career i guess okay cool well that's, that's exciting thanks and, it, and it's good I, I don't talk about this very often i talked about it a little bit i actually i actually did a podcast with jason scott uh, like about three months ago and he asked me about the net label stuff but i'm not sure that's gone up on <laughs> on it was, it was for the internet archives anniversary but um i'm not sure that's actually gone up on on their website yet but but, but that's the only time that i've spoken about the about this about net label internet archive stuff otherwise so that's cool oh that's interesting perhaps yeah. i can i can ask jason i can contact him and ask him then we can refer to that as well <laughs> yeah 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 you, you, you can ask him if it's gone live or not because i actually i actually haven't seen it but maybe i wasn't paying attention yeah, sometimes it takes a bit to find stuff on archive.org. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, especially random podcasts. Yeah, so so yeah, I, I definitely think so. But cool. Okay, well, well, thanks so so much, folks, and thanks for yeah, uh, thanks, John. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah it no, was no, a, it's been fun. It was a big pleasure for me. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, no, it was entertaining. And thanks again. And I wish you luck with continuing your podcast. Okay, okay cool. Nice. Okay, well, thanks a lot. And uh, yeah, maybe speak to you guys again in the future. That would be nice. Yes. Bye bye. Okay, okay take care.